Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So it's good to know that Tom Brady is enjoying his retirement. It's hard to know how long this is going to last. <laughs> um, I, you know, Bruce Arians said something at the Combine, Steve, that was interesting to me. He is now, of course, this is the guy that before the first preseason game, that they, a postseason game that they played against the Eagles, I think I asked him if he thought Tom Brady was going to play next year. And he said, oh, uh, you know, without a doubt, you know, I'm uh, – um, you know, there's no doubt he's going to just watching him out there. I'd be, I'd be shocked if he didn't. I'd be shocked, I tell you, shocked if, if he didn't play just because he's having so much fun and bouncing around on Friday before the playoff game, blah, blah, blah. Now he's of the, of the belief that he would be shocked, absolutely shocked, if he came out of retirement and played again based on his conversation um, with Brady. But I'm telling you, what, what Arian said, he goes, you know, I think he just likes to have his name out there. Like a lot of guys, he goes, I think he likes having his name out there. And there's no question that there is a monetary benefit to that, right? He's good got for business. Brady. Yeah, it's really good for business. He's got the Brady clothing line, got the movie coming up. You know, he does these interviews. And he always, you know, refuses to sort of slam the door because that way people have more interviews and talk to him more times. And I think a lot of that is what's going on. However, um, it, every time he does one of these interviews – if you want to parse words, you go through it and you go, yeah, it, it doesn't sound like a guy that's really knows how he's going to feel. And I think that's sort of, that's sort of where this lies, right? With, with Brady, um, announcing his retirement, telling the bucks, he's not going to play, let them go into free agency, try to find another quarterback if they can, which is becoming more impossible as far as uh, proven veterans go. But, also, not boxing himself into into a change of heart because in six months, five months, he really could feel different. And I'm telling you, if you wanted to play amateur psychologist, and I think he's crazy like a fox when he says these things, um, but he is going through like right now. Right now, he isn't. Re- he it doesn't feel like retirement to him because this is the time of year he's doing exactly what he would do regardless of whether he was playing or not. Now, I don't know about, you know, in terms of training and, and Alex Guerrero and the plyometrics. I mean, I assume he hasn't gone off his TB12 diet until we see him with a bucket of ice cream or something like that. It's not avocado ice cream. But I, but I do think, like, the, the, the spending time with family, you know, he's been with them for five weeks. Here's what he had to say. He said, I'll tell you, I wish I had a clear vision of what the future holds. Well, if you want to parse that, you can. I mean, we all do, right? But he says, but I think for me, there's a lot of great things and a lot of great opportunities that I know I said right after football season, I was looking forward to spending some time with my family. And I've done that the last five weeks. And I know there'll be more of that too. So, you know, I like staying busy, that's for sure. So he's five weeks in, more time with his, with his family coming up. Uh, he was planning to visit uh, his parents. He was going to surprise his mom. His dad knew he was going back to his home in San Mateo. He said he'd be sleeping in the room he grew up in, basically. Um, he says, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, looking forward to some golf in the next few days and some more family time. 
And then we'll figure out where we go from there. And that's the part of the statement that people can parse and say, aha, he doesn't know what he's going to do. Now, it could just be that he doesn't know after he films the movie and the, and the, you know, the 80 for Brady and, and you know, what project he's going to tackle next. But people think that he's referring to football. And maybe he is. And I, I just think it's impossible for even Tom Brady to know. You spent 22 years in the NFL, uh, four or five years in college, whatever he was at Michigan, all those years in high school playing, whatnot. And for the first time, and it won't, it won't really hit him because, again, you know, at some point I still think we're going to see him throwing footballs in Montana to somebody, and everybody's going to go, see, he's definitely planning a comeback. It might just be that he likes to throw the football. But at some point, it is gonna, the itch is going to be there. Every athlete feels it, right? And it doesn't matter what level you played. I played college baseball, right? I played baseball since I was seven years old. I got done playing college baseball. And it was cool because, you know, baseball season ends in late summer or whatever, and you have the fall off, and nothing seemed really different. When it got to be spring again, man, I, was, I, I couldn't believe I had nowhere to play. Like, I, I, it, your body clock and everything in you, you know, if you're in Florida, you smell the orange blossoms, like literally outside your window. Like, there are certain sounds and smells and the weather that makes your, makes your juices start to flow. He's going to see... NFL camps opening up places and he's not going to be a part of that. And that's when it's going to really be the hardest. The hardest is going to, because right now this feels probably a lot like any off season where he spends a lot of time with his kids, a lot of times with, you know, traveling and all that stuff. Um, he is in the Bay area. If you want to start your speculation machine with that, you know, he's back in the San Francisco Bay area. Uh, and of course, Bruce Arians has said that, you know, it would take five number ones and he wouldn't trade him if he asked to be traded because it would be bad for business. I think a lot of that is rhetoric. But it's really interesting the way Brady pops up every couple of weeks and kind of keeps everyone on edge, you know? Well, as we said, it's good for business. Mm-hmm. He's got a production company, media company. Yeah. He's on all these podcasts and, you know, his own and that. Yep. So publicity is good. Speculation sure. is good for business. Mm-hmm. Um, It's... You know, I, and granted, I don't think he knows exactly what he'll be doing come September. I don't think it's going to be football, or at least not quarterbacking an NFL team. Could mm-hmm. be. I don't think it will be. But exactly what he's going to be doing is he's building his empire from the Brady brand to his production company to trading crypto to everything else he's doing. You know, it's going to be weird. When, when right. it gets to be late July, August, that's going to be really weird for him. Right. I mean... As you said, it's 22 years in the NFL, five at Michigan, four in high school. I mean, you know, he's 44 years old, going on 45, and, you know, all but the, maybe the first 10 years of his life, that's what he's done is play football. So, you know, I, I think he's just out there. I think he likes to put his name out there. I think he likes I think he likes getting a rise out of people. You know, just when you think it's one way or the other, oh, let me let me just – Throw you the other way. Yeah. He's not lying. No. But, and, and there, there but, might but, be a percentage of him, too, that doesn't really know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He might allow for the fact that, hey, I, can't, I don't want to paint myself in a corner here in case I do get you know, the Jones for playing again. Maybe he'll pull an Eric Weddle and just come out for the playoffs. <laughs> you know, people have speculated. That's, that's actually a, an interesting uh, point is that 
he doesn't have to start the season anywhere. There will inevitably be a really good team lose their quarterback during the season. Uh-huh. It might be New England. Who knows? It could be San Francisco. It could be anybody. It could be the Bucks. And at that point, you know the first person that every team is going to want to call yep. or the first team to get his rights or whatever yep. is going to be Tom Brady. That would be interesting. And that would be a, now, granted, would be a totally... You know, every team in the NFL except the Bucks would have to do it before the trade deadline. So it couldn't just be for the playoffs. That's true. That's a great point. I mean, yeah. you know, it would have to be whatever week eight or nine, whatever that is. Yeah. You know, so if it's, you know, name your team. Or let's say it's a team that drafts a quarterback that isn't happy with them. Or, you know, let's say it's Pittsburgh that, you know, is replacing Roethlisberger, doesn't like their options, but they have to do it before the trade down. They couldn't wait till later in the season. Right, unless unless the Bucks were to release him, yes, and, they, and you know, and he's going to be on the reserve retired list, so they own his rights. But at some point, they could just you know outright him. And, and well, would and he I have to go through be, waivers at that point? He'd be subject. Yeah, so I think you, so. You couldn't just pick your team necessarily. Well, perhaps not. I although he's a vested veteran, so he 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 might okay. not be subject. I'd have to check that out. I mean, you know, there there are certain um requirements to that as well coming off a retired list i don't know if he would be subject to it or not if they just outrighted him but you know listen if tom i i'm still i know all rhetoric aside from bruce arians i still think if tom brady made an impassioned plea to the bucks to say look i want to play i don't want to play there i I, again i go back to the glazers and the whole gratitude that they have shown certain people in their organization and who would have more gratitude for tom brady than the glazers you know it would hurt them it would hurt Jason Light, it would hurt Bruce Arians that he would go some play somewhere else. But depending on, you know, maybe the Bucks are doing well with their quarterback, whoever that might be. Speaking of which, I saw Pete Carroll uh, had his day at the Combine. And again, and it, this is just good for businesses. You never close the door on anything. Teams call about your players all the time. Pete Carroll was acknowledging that we talk to everybody about all our players if they want to talk about them. But he also, you know, at least made the somewhat obvious point that, look, we're not looking. We don't want to trade Russell Wilson. Like, that's not part of the plans. I'm one that believes, because I, I, you know, I talk a lot with John Clayton, uh, the former ESP, the professor. Eh, the professor, John Clayton, out of Seattle. He's out there doing, t- doing radio on, on uh, ESPN Radio or whatever, and, and, and he follows that team. followed my team as close as I did. He follows every team. Follows the Seahawks really close. He has convinced me, convinced me that – the Seahawks are not they're not going to trade this guy. Like his whole thing is and I I tend to agree is like okay, you trade Russell Wilson for three number ones from the Philadelphia Eagles, let's say. Got three picks in the first 16. All right. So, yes, you can draft a young quarterback if you like one. You can draft two other players in the first round. So, you definitely are are replenishing your roster with with presumably the uh, more elite talent couple things not a good draft for quarterbacks this year okay um if you like Malik Willis if you know depending on who you like um but none of these guys are like sort of considered franchise type you know oh can't miss guys okay so there's that and there's a 50% bust race on on all players in the first round not just quarterbacks certainly quarterbacks but not just quarterbacks so you're going to get a young guy and try to develop him Pete Carroll's 70 already. You know, Bruce Arians is going to be 70 in October. How many years, if you let go of Russell Wilson, before you're competitive in the NFC West again? 
I mean, you've got Arizona's got Kyler Murray. I know he's, you know, kind of complaining about not having a contract and all that. San Francisco's going to start over with Trey Lance, it appears, although Jimmy Garoppolo's still on their roster. They'll probably end up trading him at some point. Um, you know, the the I mean, there's a lot of good teams in that division. And if you, if you just cut the cord on Wilson, and I know he can't play forever. He's like 33, I want to say. If you if you if you let him go, Pete Carroll's not going to coach a team that contends for that division again. You know, uh, John Snyder, the GM, he might not be around by the time they contend again. I mean, it just unless Russell makes such you know waves about not wanting to be there, and and he has said, take his for his word or not, at the Super Bowl, I don't I don't want to go anywhere. Like like a year ago, he was making noises about the offensive line, and and you know here are four five teams I would waive my no trade clause for, et cetera. Um, but of late, he he seems fairly content. And I and I just don't know that the Seahawks would trade him. Now, again, you know, it's like a Brady thing, right? You never say never. Somebody blows you away and, and, and some other quarterback falls out of the sky. Or maybe you really, really love Jalen Hurts and the Eagles say you can take our quarterback and, and, and we'll take, you know, we'll take Russell and you take our three number ones and our quarterback and something else. Maybe there's a deal out there that they would actually, you know, would actually bite on. I just don't know what it is. And, and obviously Pete Carroll's not going to close the door on anything. But I think... For the Bucks, at least, I don't think Russell Wilson's going to be a Buccaneer. And the other thing about this whole thing, and I wrote about this in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com, is that suddenly now, with Ali Marpet's retirement, okay, they've got an issue on the offensive line, and it's a big one, right? It's bad enough that Chris Godwin is coming off an ACL and you still have to find a way to either sign him to a long-term deal or maybe franchise him again. You know, you, you don't have any running backs except Keyshawn Vaughn. We don't know what Rob Gronkowski is going to do, so you potentially could have no tight ends as well, except for Cam Brait. And now, as we see here today, three-fifths of their offensive line, all the interior guys, both guards and the center, Ryan Jensen, because Alex Kappa is a free agent, you don't have, you, you know, you have two tackles. You have Donovan Smith, you have Tristan Warps. They're really good players. It's a nice place to start, don't get me wrong. But if you're talking about attracting a quarterback, like, you know, Russell Wilson was complaining about Seattle's offensive line. Well, they don't even have one here in Tampa Bay. You know, so what? Whoever who and, and guys like like Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson have no trade clauses, so they get to see where they're going and say, "Nah, you know what? That's not for me." I think in free agency, job one now, job one is going to rebuild that offensive line or at least keep as much continuity as you can. Now, with Marpet gone, they're going to save a couple million dollars on the salary cap. He had redone his, restructured his deal, so there's still some dead money. It's not the full $10 million he would have earned. It's more like $7 million. So you get a little bit of, of savings there. But I think now, they almost, you know, before I was like, well, maybe they'll get one of those two guys back. I mean, I don't know about Jensen. Maybe they get Kappa or they get Kappa. Not Jen- so, but now I think you need them both. I think you almost have to go all in and say, and it, and they're both projected to make over ten million dollars each, which is a hard thing to do with the Bucks salary cap situation right now. And then you have all these other free agents, right? You want to do Carlton Davis, you want to do Chris Godwin, you want to do all these guys, but offensive line, if they don't shore that up, whether it's Blaine Gabbert or Kyle Trask, those guys will have no chance. And you know the other guy that that is sort of out there, um, you know, I mean they they've had some. They've had some injuries on the offensive line before, right? Nick Leverett is still still on the team. Um, you know, they've had other guys that have that have kind of popped in here and there, but it's 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 a big problem now. It went from 
okay, we've got a couple free agents on the offensive line. Maybe we get one back. Maybe Aaron Stinney, who was also a free agent, you probably could re-sign him a little easier to less money um, than, say, an Alex Kappa or Ryan Jensen. You still got Robert Hainsey, who you drafted from Notre Dame, that could play center. But, you know, you want as much continuity as you can possibly get. And that's that's getting Stinney back um, if you can't get Kappa. That's getting, uh, you know, Kappa back if you can't get Jensen. But really, if you can get them both, now you're dealing from a position of strength again on the offensive line. And even though you lost Marpet, you can replace a guard uh, at one spot than you can, you know, two or three. So I, I really think that that's going to, you know, sort of, dovetail into who they get at quarterback because any quarterback of that has a choice was going to say fine yeah I see Mike Evans okay you got Chris Godwin back cool we don't have a running back how's the offensive line how are the guys going to protect me and if you don't have the answers to that test you're not getting anybody any good and and for that matter whoever you put back there is going to struggle so all of a sudden because of Marpet's retirement, the offensive line, the interior offensive line in particular, has become a problem for the Bucks. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, we had some leftover mailbag questions for you. Major League Baseball, of course, still extending their lockout. That is not a good thing. We're going to probably miss some games now, I would imagine, Steve Versnick. So we had some on those, I think. Well, they've canceled the first two series, so basically the first week of the season. And Les had tweeted us. He says, I'm a glass-half-full guy. Not playing in Boston and Toronto the first week of April isn't all that bad, is it? I, I mean, I guess not, but I don't know. How, how are they going to – I guess my question would be, what do you do with those games and those series? Those are ALE series, right? Do, you just, do they just eliminate them, them totally, or – when you see them again, do you have to try to make up games? How are they going to well, do Well, no, that? they said the games are canceled. They'll be done. They'll be out. So now, it's just games you didn't have to play Boston or Toronto. Yeah, now, could they adjust the schedule and put those games back on and eliminate some other teams? Possibly. Right. Although I I don't see that happening. Cause I, also, I mean, on the surface. I also think it's going to go more than a week of cancellation. So Yeah, that's true. But, but not, playing, are... not playing in Boston in the end of March is not a bad thing. No, I, I, I mean, those are two really good else. ball clubs. No, I'm saying yeah, weather-wise, right. if nothing else. Oh, right, because you could get cold and rain yeah. and stuff Toronto, like that. Toronto, you yeah. got the dome at least. but Yeah, but they're both really – I mean, if you were going to yeah. handicap the AL East, right, uh-huh. Boston's right there. Toronto is an, is a, is an ascending team yep. who they've struggled with. Um, so I don't think those are bad series to miss if you're the Rays. That's, not, yeah. that's really not a horrible thing. But less that is being the ultimate glass half full guy. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> hey, we we missed eight games against two really good teams. We might have split with them. I don't know. I mean, they probably would have split with those teams. But that's a good way to look at it, though. I suppose. Yeah. I need. We need baseball. Like, like, come on, man. It's just. It's. I think we'll, we won't notice it until the regular season is supposed to start. Well, that's that's now, the thing. Does does the casual fan even know that? 
baseball has been canceled for the first week. No. The casual fan doesn't. Well, who knows? Are cities like Clearwater and Dunedin oh, and absolutely. Jupiter yes. and you know that that's the crime in all this is that there are people, real people, by the way, that drive minivans at hotels mm-hmm. that are not being able to pay their electric bill or have as much money in their household income this year because so much of it is made during spring training. You know, and and these I feel for these cities that have that have poured out millions of dollars to maintain and build these stadiums and they're not getting any return on the investment in the hotels that would have been packed. Maybe some people don't come down now to watch spring training. So that's what's the shame of it. Now the minor league spring trainings have started. Mm -hmm. It's only the guys on the 40 man that are locked out. The minor leagues are going to go on as normal this year. Right. Whatever happens with the baseball lockout, the regular season extends for weeks or months. The miners are going to start, and I don't know if you read uh, Mark Topkin's story on Tyler Zombro. If you remember, he was the uh, pitcher at Durham, I think it was two years ago, uh, drilled by a line drive. The head, yeah. Yeah, and he's now been cleared to play. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of uh, amazing, or as he described it, miraculous. Yeah. Um, you know, just uh, amazing. I don't, I don't know if I got hit in the head like that. I don't know if I could go back on the mound. You know, I saw, I, I think I've told this story before. I, it sounds stupid now. I was playing college baseball, and we had a guy that was throwing batting practice. And um, and I don't know why at the time. I, I think the field was wet, and so they were taking batting. We were taking batting practice in the outfield, sort of turned it, turned it around a little bit, and we're hitting you know from the left field line to the right field line. And this kid got out there, and he was one of our starting pitchers, but he was down in the rotation. He got out there and started, you know, tossing batting practice without an L screen. <laughs> it was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And he took a line drive off his face. And to this day, I still am haunted by the, the sight of it. Um, and like I said, he was a pretty good pitcher for us, and we had really good baseball. We had like nine guys drafted off that, that uh, junior college team in St. Pete. But when he tried to come back, they, he had surgery on his face. He broke his orbital bone. I mean, it was all, it was a mess, his nose, all that stuff. When he came back, you could see how much psychologically he was damaged by that because he got on the mound and his delivery was different. He sort of recoiled after he threw the ball. He didn't follow through the right way. Like he had command issues. It was, it was painful to watch him go through that psychologically. I, and I'm with you. I don't know how anybody that gets hit like that with a line drive can go back on there and stand 60 feet away from a major league hitter. I, I simply don't know how you do it. Well, we saw Alex Cobb do that with the Rays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's gone on to other teams since. But that you, that's amazing. I mean, the mind, you know, very difficult to, to you know, overcome that psychologically, right? I mean, what 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 would you tell yourself? How would you, from breathing to, you know, just – you know, getting your muscles to, to fire up the right way. I mean, muscle memory is a big part of it, right? But but your mind can change all of that. And it doesn't take much when you're pitching, when you're throwing a baseball, um, to screw with your mechanics to the point where you're just not as good or just not as effective. But just the fortitude and the will to get back on that mound after after suffering a trauma like that. would just. I, and I'm surprised, Steve, that it doesn't happen more. I really am. You know, every year some some guy gets knocked down, but I'm really surprised that more guys haven't. Remember when it happened um, with with pretty qu- quick frequency? I think Cobb, and then who was the uh, Blue Jays pitcher that got hit in Tropicana? 
The left-hander, I can't remember um, his name right now. It's he went on to pitch. Hap? Jay Hap? Yes. Jay Hap. So, so there was a series of them pretty close together, I think. And they started talking about putting, like, uh, you know, sort of some protection in their, hel- in their hats, mm-hmm. in their caps, you know. They're still testing and, that kind of stuff. And no one, I don't think many people tried it or, or felt comfortable using it. Yep. But I, I remember that was a big well, remember, thing. Remember, the, was it uh, Mike Coolball, the th- third base coach? Yes. For the Rockies, and now they wear helmets, the base coach. And coaches. now they wear helmets on the base coach, which makes all the sense in the world, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you can definitely coach. With, and that's not going to hinder your ability to wave a guy around third base. Right. Or first base. But, um, yeah. But, but, but being on the mound, I could see where that would be cumbersome. You'd have to – that would uh, – again, it doesn't take much to affect these guys psychologically and their mechanics. Something is, is, sounds as simple as, well, we just put some protection in, inside your hat – but that's different, right? That's something that they've they've never had to contend with, and I don't think any of the players really wanted to do it, or very many of them wanted to do it, or we'd all see them with it out there now. All right, well, getting back to the mailbag questions, Michael had tweeted us, the Major League Baseball Players Association is against a salary cap, but do you think it would be the best way to guarantee their share of the revenues just like the other leagues? It depends on how it's structured, I guess. I mean, a, a, just a flat or a hard cap doesn't necessarily – it guarantees what teams have to spend if there's a hard floor or a hard top. Um, but what you're really looking for is a percentage of all designated gross revenues. That's what you want to – if you're a player in any league, that's what you want to see come up. Um, and, and sometimes that's hard to do because you're kind of – you know, the structure of it – it's a lot of it's about structure and I know they've been talking about you know when is a player arbitration eligible how long can a team control his rights you know this that and the other when he's become a free agent so that's very important right to players but I think and we've talked about this Steve you mentioned it that like in terms of the 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 three major sports leagues in this country the NFL the NBA and Major League Baseball I think you have said Major League Baseball has the lowest share of total revenues of any of those groups Mm mm-hmm I think it's, you know, I haven't seen the numbers in the last couple of years, but it's closer to 40% the players take yeah. home, where the other yeah. leagues are basically contractually, through their CBAs, at 47, 48, 49. You know, the, NFL, the NFLs went yeah. up like a percent, percent and a half because they added the 17th game. Right. So the owners gave them a bigger percentage of the pie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what Major League Baseball has traditionally done is they don't want a salary cap, which means there's no floor either. Right. Right. Teams don't have to spend money. They can. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. the luxury tax to help with the rev share. But they're protecting guys like Bryce Harper, who can sign 10, 12-year deals at 40, 45 million a year, whatever it is. And probably the top players are getting more money than they could if there was a cap. But I think it hurts the majority of the players. Is that... You know, I mean, we already know baseball has the lowest average starting salary or, you know, rookie salary of any of the four leagues, hockey, basketball, football. They actually the player salaries for the last several seasons have gone down in baseball. It's not true in the other sports because they rev share. And as the revenues go up, the players make more money. That's not happening in baseball. And I think part of this lockout is the owners don't want to change what they're doing. And the players are finally saying, we want more of the money. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we've been going backwards compared to yeah. other sports. 
mm-hmm. and you know we there. I, I think the Baseball Players Association has done their players a disservice the last few collective bargaining agreements, and I think they're right. finally trying to get it right, so to speak. Although yeah. they're against the salary cap, which I I think is a mistake because they want to protect a few guys at the top instead yeah. of protecting the greater you know, whole. I mean, I, to me, the players association's goal should be to bring more money to everybody. How you totally div- agree. How you totally divvy it up agree. among the players is that's semantics. That's right. But their goal should be to bring as many, as much money and as many players in. If you want to expand rosters, things like that, that's more jobs. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a good thing for the players association. Protecting the top, half percent of guys that are going to make those mega contracts you know Bryce Harper's the Mike Trout's the Shohei Otani's the you know Mm -hmm. protecting those guys I I don't think that's what the union's purpose should be but that's what it's become in baseball and a lot of that I think is driven by these agents right a lot Mm -hmm. of it is driven by the Major League Players Association agents that recognize that they get paid um, mm-hmm. predominantly by these insane, you know, $45, 50000000 million sure. a year contracts. Sure. And and so, but you're exactly right. And I, I think this is true with the NFL, and I think they finally kind of got it. Now, they did some things, you know, they they, <laughs> they put in a rookie salary um, cap, if you will, mm-hmm. rookie salary pool, because it used to be that guys that had never played a game in the NFL were getting guaranteed $60 yeah. million dollar contracts, and it was really ticking off the quarterbacks like Joe Montana that had, you know, earned it and still wasn't making as much money as somebody else. But I, I even thought that was wrong because really if you analyzed it, you know, there weren't that many players that were making those sort of guarantees to take money from all the rookies, right, which is what mm-hmm. they did. And it, the theory was, well, that's going to that's gonna increase, you know, the money for the veteran players, and, and it didn't necessarily do that. What, what, what makes – what increases the money to the players is when you take percentage of the revenues and you become partners. And then I think labor peace is more attainable because if you both have the same amount to lose, right. Um, and nobody has the hammer over the other guy, then that that's when things seem to go a little better for you, mm-hmm. you know, cause I mean, the, the, the thing about the NFL is they're truly partners, you know, and, and the NFL owners recognize they've tried the scab games before the plan B, you know, teams and mm-hmm. all that stuff. And and fans don't want to see them. You know, it doesn't work. You can't you can't have scab games. You can't put on a product. The players are the product. I think the NFL realizes that. They try as best they can to to make it about the teams and not the players. You know, they, they got to wear helmets. They can't take them off on the field. You know, they dress the the uniform police because they want them all to be the same. And they try to they try to curb individuality in the NFL. Um, from demonstrations to you know uh, end zone things and all that. But for the most part, they recognize that the, the players are the game. The entertainment is, is, are these athletes, and they are now true partners. And so they are both equally motivated to keep their league going. Uh, and, and to, if nothing else, their, their biggest arguments in the NFL is, hey, how can we get more revenue? Are you guys willing to play a 17th game? Mm-hmm. Are you willing to play an extra playoff game? Are you willing to play uh, you know, in, in, in Europe? Like. You know, they're, they're always just pushing the players to say, hey, more, more, more. We could grow this thing together. What are you willing to tolerate? You know, mm-hmm. how about Thursday night? How about Tuesday night? How about what? So that that's the struggle there is like the players trying to figure out, okay, when when is this now having the negative impact on us when they're just after more revenue? But you know what? Every time they sign a deal, more money goes into the players' pockets. And 
So, you know, it, it works a little smoother than it used to. But baseball is not there yet. And I'm with you. I, I think if that's what the union is doing right now is, you know, trying to uh, create more revenue for all players, that's probably a smart thing. But um, the timing's bad. It, you know, I mean, we, we can do a whole show on baseball, but it's a great question. Yeah, I mean, like if you remember back when uh, this has been six years ago, I think Steven Stamkos was, was a free agent. And mm-hmm. there was now, granted, it was reports. It wasn't necessarily the the union never came out and said this, but the report, you know, that the union wanted Stephen Stamkos to go on the market and get eleven, twelve, thirteen million dollars a year uh, as a contract, and he ended up staying here. Took a hometown discount of eight and a half million. And there was, you know, some people saying that union people were upset with them because he didn't go get the most money. And, and I understand, you know, from his agent, I would I totally get that story. But from the union perspective, he stayed at a team and he took a little less, but that team is spending to the salary cap. So what are you upset about? Exactly. I mean, if he took a hometown discount and, and the, the Lightning were spending $15 million less than the salary money. cap, yeah, mm-hmm. then I could see a union being upset. But as long mm-hmm. as the team is spending to the salary cap, Right. It should be the you know what does the union care how that money's divvied up among the players? I mean, you know, you well, want the, the way best, what they you care. want the best players to get paid, and you want well. That's the thing. I mean, yeah. I think so. When you go negotiate a contract based on Steven Stam, you know, you have the same or similar numbers or similar accomplishments to a player like Stamkos. The other teams are going to point to that contract and say, mm-hmm. "Yeah, but here's what we here's what this guy got. Why do you want this many more millions than right. him?" So that that's where they were. Well, and from the about. agent perspective, I get that. I'm saying from the union perspective, if if the team is spending to the salary cap, it really shouldn't matter to to the union how that money was divvied up amongst the players on that team, right? Whether mm-hmm. Stamkos got eight and a half million or ten and a half million, mm-hmm. and because if he gets ten and a half, that means other players get two million less total. I mean, however, that's divvied mm-hmm. up if if they're spending to the cap, which the Lightning were and do. Yeah, you know. Now, if you're a team that wasn't spending to the cap and, and someone took a big hometown discount. Okay. Then I can get that part. Yeah. Um, you know, and so I guess it's the, you know, what's the union's job? I mean, it's, it's to advocate for everybody, which includes the players making the bare minimum and trying to hold on. It includes the guys that are making, let's say baseball, the Bryce Harper's Mike Trout's Fernando Tatis juniors, you know, the players mm-hmm. that are making the big money. It's to protect them too, but it's also to protect everybody. There's a lot less yeah. of those big guys. Oh yeah, far less. And, and look, mm-hmm. I'm all for the players making as much as you can, mm-hmm. but as a union, I think your job and interest is to get the most money for the collective. How it's divvied yep. up is, yep. whatever. Yep. It should be baseball's making all this revenue. We're only taking thirty-eight to forty percent of it. We should be getting a bigger percentage of it. That should Absolutely. be the union's sole job. And then you figure out how to divvy it up, and that's you know, yeah, how you know how, what you know. The NBA has you know max contracts and and mm-hmm. things like that. Every league's got their own little thing. You know, the NFL's issue is they don't guarantee contracts. Um, that's right. The, the you know, and it's because of injury and the size of the rosters and everything else, I I, I understand the thinking behind it. Mm-hmm. But I, I just I've never understood the Baseball Players Association. And what they try to accomplish in these negotiations, it's that. Well, and to me, it's take as much money as you can for the collective. 
and really they um for years and years they were the strongest union and in some respects might still be in some ways but for the most part i mean free agency this whole idea right that the nfl the nfl didn't have any free agency until like 1990 right i mean they then they started with what was called plan b free agency we you could protect virtually every player on the team and maybe the last two guys on your roster were free agents right which is stupid they eventually got what they have now which is you know unrestricted and restricted free agencies restricted starts after 3 years unrestricted after 4 years but can you imagine they had they had nothing at least at least baseball you can go back to the Kurt Flood days and all that um they had it they were one of the strongest unions that were first in so many of these things um but then to see them here you know like you said I'm a, I'm totally agree get as much money for the players all players as much of those revenues that you're producing that these owners are making from popcorn to to parking um you know you want to share in everything that you can share in and certainly the TV contracts, which are regional or whatever. But, yeah, the, whatever you can designate as revenue that goes in the owner's pockets, you want to take as much of that as you can. And then when you do become partners, it's a lot easier to kind of divvy it up. Um, but they're not there yet. So great question, though. All right, we'll end on this one. And Alejandro tweeted us. He says, since you've been covering this team for an eternity now, what's been your favorite <laughs> player journalistic moment? And congrats on your award, although I'll correct Alejandro. Congrats on your awards, because you won two ASPE awards that's right. this year. That's right. We keep scoring this game, and that's that's that, that's a dose. Breaking dos news and beat writing. There you go, and it's and it's very hard to do. Um, I think there were. I think I've said this. There are only three of us in that top ten list that actually cover teams on a daily basis. So you know, when you're going against the big boys, and yeah. there's somebody in there that just cherry picks. Well, for your beat writing, you cover two teams. So, I mean, you're breaking Jaguars news, too. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I'm going to have to add the Dolphins this year, I think. The great, what was the, how do you phrase that? The greatest moment, journalistic moment? What's your favorite player or journalistic moment? I would still say the biggest, like, obviously, these two stories I wrote this year had impact, right? I mean, Antonio Brown was suspended. And maybe as part of that suspension, him being away from the team, uh, you know, he would only miss really one game because he was injured uh, during that suspension. He wouldn't have been able to play in two of those three games. But, um, but there was there was obviously, as everybody has said, he was different. Right when he came back, he then wanted his incentives guaranteed because he felt like he couldn't make them. He wanted them to, and they wouldn't do that. And so, you know, there's there was it, it, kind of his true colors came out. So so maybe there was definitely impact there. It was definitely impact with Josh Lambeau, though that was a drip 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 effect with urban meyer um that started before i wrote the josh lambo story but he was fired some you know 10 hours later uh, so that had impact so those were two impactful stories i will always say that at least till now the most impactful story the, the biggest journalistic moment and it's not to be it changed their history for better or worse it couldn't have been any better actually um is when um i wrote a story uh that tony dungy the Bucks had re- reached a, a a deal with Bill Parcells, who was working for ESPN at the time, to coach the Bucks before Tony Dungy played uh, his coached his final game in Philadelphia in the postseason. They were going up there for a wild card game, and they had been at this contractually with Bill Parcells for months and months, uh, and had a deal, had struck a deal. The defensive staff was going to remain; they were all under contract. Um, they were going to bring in certain guys to be, you know, the cap guy, the GM, whatever. Uh, Rich McKay might have been out at that in that instance, um, and I, 
you know, that was, that was pre-internet, right? That was, you picked up the paper and saw what the headlines were. And then that's how you got your news. And, and I had gone to Tony two weeks before and told him they had been meeting with Parcells and he did not want to believe me. He simply didn't. I says, I can't believe that, you know, the Glazers would treat me that way. I think I would know if they were doing that. Um, McKay kind of pled the fifth a little bit. Um, I don't know what he knew or when he knew it, but, uh, finally I was able to nail that down and, uh, with some conversations of people that represented Parcells and whatnot. And when I wrote the story, uh, I can remember Susie Kobler holding up the head, holding up the newspaper, uh, on ESPN before the playoff game saying, you know, Bucks have deal with Parcells, you know, to, uh, to, to coach the team, you know, and, and it wasn't the only sort of thing that could change is if, if the Bucks were to go to the Super Bowl or win and go deep in the playoffs or something like that. But it was barring anything unforeseen and, and no one thought they were going to beat Philadelphia and they didn't. They got hammered, I think, like 31 to nine. I don't, I don't think they scored a touchdown for the second straight year up there. But um, that was the only thing that might have changed it. And, uh, and Tony Dungy writes about it in his book, Quiet Strength, um, that, that when he got on the plane to go to Philadelphia, he noticed that the Glazers for the first time weren't on the team charter. And his wife, Lauren, nudged him and said, hey, you know, look what's different. And, and he noticed that, and, and he writes that, you know, Rick Stroud was right, that, that they did have a deal. And then the interesting thing about it was Dungy was fired. Remember the story about his key not working when he tried to get back to the facility after they lost the playoff game? Uh, and it was in the rain. He was leaving the facility. We talked to him in his car. We're standing out there in the rain and talking to him about it. Uh, and then right away, you know, first the Glazers denied that they had even made contact with Parcells. And then it was, they put a little statement that we have now contacted Bill Parcells, which was all complete crap. They had been working with Jimmy Sexton, his agent and such. Uh, and eventually I think Parcells in part, because he got so much pushback, so much pushback from the coaching community. He's like, wait a minute, you, you submarined a guy like Tony Dungy, you know, before he had a chance to, to, to determine, you know, what his season was going to be. And he was going through a divorce. So a lot of that money, they're going to get pay him $5 million a year, which was a huge contract back in the day. Um, because he's going through a divorce, half of that might have gone to his wife. So for a lot of reasons, he, he actually about a week and a half, two weeks later said, I'm out. I'm not, I am not, don't, don't consider me anymore. And that threw it into total chaos. You know, then, then it became, you know, it was going to be Marvin Lewis. And, and then, you know, they're going to hire him around the Super Bowl. And I remember meeting with McKay and him saying that the owners thought he was too much like Tony. And the Marvin Lewis thing fell down. And then they went back and they eventually made the trade for John Gruden, which worked out pretty well for them, right? He won a Super Bowl against his former team in the first year. The interesting thing was, after all of that, the Glazers having denied all that time that they had done anything with Parcells, a year later, Parcells does go back to coaching. He signs with the Dallas Cowboys to coach their team. And the Buccaneers pull out a signed contract by Bill Parcells to coach the Bucks, and says, we want draft pick compensation for the Cowboys. And the league told him, uh, yeah, that's not happening. So, But that, that still remains the uh, journalistically. And there was stuff back going back to the Gator days and stuff. That I got tons of stories one day. We'll just do a podcast on all the weird things. But... Uh, I still think that one was even more impactful than this past year. But it's a great question. All right, so we got a busy week of sports. The Lightning are at home tonight against Detroit. Then they play Sunday at Chicago. We'll see where Major League Baseball goes, if anywhere, with their negotiations. And then I'm sure there'll be more developments 
on the quarterback front for the Buccaneers. Maybe Tom Brady will do an interview and tell us uh, if he's throwing again or something like that. But we'll monitor all of that. Hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday for Steve Burstick. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a good one, everybody. 